0: Let's pray together. God, we pray not that you would be present here with us because we know that you are always here. Rather, in these moments, we pray that we would be fully present with you, that your voice would be the one that we would hear most clearly as you open our hearts and our minds to examine the Scripture together. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Around 7 o'clock p.m. on Tuesday, March the 10th, Tracy, Luke, Emily, and I buckled into our car to begin the 712-mile drive to Mobile, Alabama. We needed to be there by 3 o'clock the next day, and we're pushing the limits of time because we'd waited to get on the road until after Luke's percussion practice with the Tunstall Concert Ensemble. He'd be missing three rehearsals later that week, including a 12-hour practice on Saturday. And at this point in the season, just five weeks away from World Championships, every practice was crucial. And so it was in the dark that we began our long trip to Mobile. We were headed to a conference for the Southern Division of the American Choral Directors Association. Luke had been selected along with students from 11 Southern states to participate in a regional honors choir, which was taking place as part of that event. And I remember being really glad that it hadn't been canceled. This was something we'd looked forward to for a long time and we couldn't wait to get there and to hear all of the beautiful music. Well, actually, I think Emily was mostly looking forward to three whole days off from school. When we got there the next day, coronavirus was on everyone's mind. Each singer was given a small bottle of hand sanitizer in their swag bag, and organizers joked that the conference theme, Lift Every Voice, had been updated and was now Lift Every Voice and Wash Every Hand. Some participants had elected not to come, but most were there, and students began rehearsing shoulder-to-shoulder that afternoon as scheduled. At one point, the high school choir manager jokingly challenged this room full of teenage singers to come up with their best coronavirus pickup lines. My favorite was, if the virus doesn't take you out, can I? This was Wednesday, March 11th. Two days later, the conference had been concluded early. Schools were closed, although only for two weeks at that point. Kate had been sent home from Roanoke College. WGI World Championships had been called off, and Luke's percussion ensemble had quickly gathered to perform their show one last time for family and friends while we were 712 miles away. I remember sitting outside at Bob's downtown restaurant enjoying a supremely good fish taco on a beautiful breezy evening, trying to make sense of all that had happened over the past two days. As the party trolley passed by repeatedly on the street behind us, filling the night air with loud tipsy laughter, the owner of Bob's restaurant lingered at our table where she was also serving as our waitress for the evening. She talked about how hard this was going to be on people with children to manage work and childcare if schools were closing, and how grateful she was that she had a little nest egg because crowds would probably be light for a few weeks. We left a large tip that night because we were worried about her, already beginning to feel closer to strangers as we all experienced the shock of this pandemic together. We took a long meandering walk back to our hotel, stopping to watch boats in the harbor and soaking up one last moment of peace before beginning the drive back to reality the next day. In the passage Schuyler just read from Luke chapter 24, Cleopas and his companion were also on a journey back to reality. We don't really know much about these two characters, but we can assume that they were part of the extended group of Jesus' followers. And it seems likely that they were from Emmaus, had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and were now returning home, although our text never tells us that for sure. What we do know is that they were aware of Jesus' crucifixion, and as they walked to Emmaus, they were preoccupied thinking and talking about all of the things that had just happened. Two Greek words are used to describe their conversation, homilio, which means to discuss or converse in the company of or communing with another as you talk, and susitio, which takes the discussion one step further, creating the sense that they are questioning, reasoning, perhaps even debating the meaning of what had taken place. The first conversation I remember having about the coronavirus and how it it would affect our church life was while we were still in Alabama. It was Thursday, March the 12th, and we were trying to decide whether or not to have Wednesday night supper the following week. We were texting back and forth in our West Main staff group chat, considering several possibilities, debating the pros and cons, After changing our minds a couple of times, we made the decision to continue with our regular Bible study and activities, but not to serve food, which seemed to be the biggest risk in terms of spreading the virus. We planned instead to invite folks to bring their own supper, but to otherwise keep our regular schedule intact. It was a good decision, one that we all felt good about, but it never happened. Before we could even announce what we had decided, schools were closed, gatherings were limited, and church life as we knew it came to a screeching halt. Cleopas and his companion are in the middle of this kind of conversation, going back and forth around and around about what they'd seen and heard, trying to understand what had happened and what it all meant. While they were talking and discussing, the text tells us, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asks them what they're talking about, and we start to get a picture of their conversation and the confused anxiety behind it. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place? Cleopas snaps. What things? Jesus replies. The things about Jesus of Nazareth and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women in our group say the tomb is empty and that they have seen a vision of angels who said that he is alive. Some others who were with us found the tomb, just as they said, but they didn't see him. This feels like a conversation that has become all too familiar in recent weeks. Since that very first coronavirus group text in Alabama, until just this morning, I've had so many conversations like this one. Conversations in which I'm laying out the facts, trying to get clear on what's happening and what to expect next. And then, mid-sentence, I'll remember something that somebody said or that I read on Facebook. But then I'll remember this other thing that somebody else said or that I heard on the news, back and forth, around and around, until I don't know which way is up, much less what to do. It's exhausting. And sometimes I look back and feel so sad about the loss of what I thought was going to happen, or about the fact that I was naive enough to to have hoped for those things in the first place. Earlier this week, when I was reading and researching this scripture, I came across an article written in 2014 by a religion professor named Richard Swanson. In the article, Dr. Swanson focused in on this little phrase in verse 21, we had hoped. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel, to set Israel free. He spends most of the article discussing the Greek imperfect verb tense that's used here, which I found fascinating, but you may be less interested in. His point was this, the word used here describes an ongoing habit, if you will, of hoping that was brought to an abrupt end by the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Dr. Swanson goes on to write, the scene, to be sure, ends with joy and excitement. But the thing that catches my eye is that little imperfect tense verb, we had hoped. I have heard families use that phrase when they were packing up the things they had brought with them to the ICU. We had hoped, they say, and then they go home alone. I have heard families use this phrase when addictions return or jobs go away. Although theologies of hope focus on a dawning future, the moment that catches me is that moment of deep disappointment when only a painfully imperfect verb tense will express what needs to be said. As soon as I read it, I felt the rightness of it deep inside somewhere that this six-year-old article about ancient Greek verb tenses not only got to the heart of what our lectionary passage is about, but that it had just put into words a grief that I'd been experiencing but had struggled to name. We had hoped over and over and over again and the repeated disappointment of all that hoping We had hoped that we would be back in school after two weeks. We had hoped that we could worship in person on Easter. We had hoped that we could at least invite you to come to the church and place your your flowers on the cross outside. We had hoped that the virus wouldn't come to Danville, that no one would die here, that we had acted in time, All the world over, in large cities and tiny villages, the people of planet Earth have been crying out in collective grief. We had hoped, but their hoping has been in vain. This had to be how Cleopas and his companion felt on that road to Emmaus, on that first Easter so long ago. A deep, heart-sick disappointment, not only that their hopes were in vain, but that the one they had hoped in, the one they trusted to save them, was now gone. Of course, he wasn't really. He was right there with them on the road, but they were so stunned, sad, and confused by what was happening around them that it took them a while to recognize him. A large part of their struggle was that they had misunderstood God's promises in the first place and therefore couldn't make the reality of what had happened fit into their hoped-for expectations. The resurrected Jesus who met them on the road that day wasn't who they expected the Messiah to be. But slowly, he began to open their eyes by explaining the scriptures to them, by giving them a new way to understand old truths, so that they could see how the things he suffered were necessary, and were actually the fulfillment of what had been promised. Like Cleopas and the other guy, we too find ourselves disoriented by recent events, which have left us stunned, sad, and confused, unable to see where Jesus is or what we should do next. As we navigate the bewilderment of these days, let's stay humble about what we thought we knew. And let's stay open to grow and to learn, believing that at any moment Jesus may enter our days and lead us to new, deeper understandings of scripture and of our faith. Of course, it wasn't knowledge or insight or understanding that flipped the lights on and set these early believers on a new path. It was the experience of Jesus in their midst. Stay with us, they urge him, and when he does, When he sits at their table and breaks the bread, then their eyes are opened and their faith is reborn. This past Wednesday night, we made a pretty tough decision together on Zoom, an online meeting platform that had been unfamiliar to most of us just a few weeks ago. As a staff, we decided to abstain from voting or speaking on the issue unless absolutely necessary. To remove ourselves from the conversation and to trust the church to work together to figure out the complexities of the situation before us. I must confess that I'm often not a very good listener. It's easy for me to get lost in my own thoughts, formulating how I'll respond to what you're saying rather than listening carefully to what you're saying. But since I wasn't expected to speak, I was able to settle in and just listen. What I heard again and again on both sides of the issue before us was a genuine love and respect for each other and a heartfelt desire to do what was in the best interest of the church. I heard people share personally and vulnerably about how their faith was helping them navigate this very modern concern and how it was helping them make a real-world decision, even though we weren't in agreement on what that decision should be. When it came time to vote, I remember feeling totally at peace with whatever decision was made because what we decided had ceased to be as important as how we decided it. In the midst of a global pandemic, when tensions were high and I doubt any of us were feeling at our best, I had just witnessed the kind of community described in Acts chapter two. Separated by social distancing and by our opinions on the issue before us, on Wednesday night, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Around 7 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday, April 22nd, I saw Jesus. In the middle of an online business meeting of all places, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know how long we'll be under stay at home orders. I don't know when we'll be able to meet together again as a church. I don't know how long any of us will keep jobs or healthy bank accounts or even our health. I don't know what our church will look like at the end of this crisis or what other challenges might be looming on the horizon. But I do know what I saw on Wednesday night. I saw a church without a building, and a church without a staff, and it was beautiful, and so much more than I knew to hope for. In the midst of great uncertainty, the likes of which I have never known, I have never been less afraid. I believe in the future of the church because I see you, West Maine and so many others being the church, even now, in a thousand beautiful ways. I believe in God the Father, who created and is creating, and who specializes in turning bad news into good news, death into life. I believe in Jesus Christ, who not only shows us the way, but who is the way, and who loved us so much that he held nothing back, even his own life. And I believe in the spirit, mysterious, wild, alive, and free. The active, uncontrollable, unstoppable presence of God in our lives and in our world. Yesterday, this day, and forever. Amen.